Lighting it up over here. Mm-hmm. Welcome again to Hotbox the Cinema. Yep. We've got a special guest in the studio. Oh, yeah. My parents' dog. Doing a little dog sitting. How yeah. how adulting of you. You're yeah. a pet owner. Temporary pet owner. Mm-hmm. It's like mostly kind of chill. We go to the park. Um, she just goes to the state capitol and 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 takes a shit <laughs> shitting on capitol hill i'm just a bill taking dumps on capitol hill yeah that's what she thinks of of billy's response to covid-19 as she should really yeah. a really a, an embarrassment hotbox the cinema gives a firm two thumbs down to governor's governor billy's just general performance as governor of the state of tennessee but also specifically his response to covid yeah but if you want to sign up for their prayer newsletter of (laughs) anti-covid prayers going out all month you can do it we should start a stoner prayer newsletter you know like yeah i say a little prayer for you all the hopes and wishes i light a little prayer for you Mm mm-hmm Light a candle in the window. Yeah. But yeah, so this is the the first recording of, of 2021, the new year. Glad all that 2020 crap is over. It is. It's. I mean, it's kind of funny. I was talking about this with one of my roommates the other day. And I feel like I may have even, I don't know, I've talked, I think, with you about this in the past, Seth, just because it's something I've been thinking about throughout the year 2020. But it's just funny how I remember as a kid growing up in the 2000s 2020 was always this kind of like benchmark for the future you know of like Mm -hmm. i feel like i remember seeing some kind of like pbs news report of like what's life going to be like in 2020 and it felt so far off and then it's just kind of happened and i'm like how wait it's not 2006 anymore like we're in this future year the number 2021 looks kind of weird to me though gives me a little it gives me a bad vibe, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe 2020 was too symmetrical, and that's why the vibes were off. Yeah. So maybe we need to switch it up. I think so. But yeah, I mean, 2020 was always like kind of, I feel like, that like retro future year for like the 80s sci-fi future movies Totally. And stuff. Johnny Mnemonic being a 90s one, but that was like 2021. 
Yeah, now we're in the Johnny Mnemonic year fully. Yeah, or like the you know, like Far Cry Blood Dragon game spinoff. Wow, it's like one that was emulating <sighs> that Takes like eighties sci-fi cyberpunk stuff. It was set in like twenty thirteen or something like that. Takes me back to some dorm room days. That neon game, synthwave. Yeah, with the Sean Bean acting, or no, Michael Bean. Which is very much coming back, you know. I just bought, I just finally gave in and bought Black Ops Cold War. The menu music for that is some like do 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 like kind of knockoff Carpenter bullshit. I mean, yeah, you got Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, which I saw somebody on Twitter say, I wish I could remember who, so I could give credit, but they were like, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four isn't nostalgic for the eighties; it's nostalgic for the for the nineteen eighties nostalgia of the early 2000s which is like damn just cycles yeah i mean black ops cold war from what i've seen just kind of looks like stranger things core yeah i haven't started playing the campaign yet but it definitely has that vibe i mean you have a like icbm silo multiplayer level and then you have this like glossy like miami vice drug dealer house level and yeah and there's a mall level too yeah, it's just very like I don't know, retro modernist kind of, you know. Yeah. Like it's just it, like this is this is all the places people did stuff in the eighties. Missile yeah. silos, the mall, and Miami. Yeah, and Nuketown. Oh yeah. Nuketown is forever though. <laughs> uh anyways, yeah, but I mean we didn't do an end of year episode last year because it just seemed kind of like Everybody and their mother does that at the end of the year. And you just you don't want to do just another like best of list because it all kinds of end up being ends up being the same. Yeah. Um, And also, like if I had to make a top 10 list of like the best games from 2020, I would have been like I would have been struggling. I can't count like, like great games I played this year on a hand like a few hours of doom eternal that you played yeah i got that at the beginning of the lockdown to just like soothe my mind and it was just it was not good i remembered that whole kind of pandemonium early on with gamestop and the release of animal crossing and doom eternal and that just feels like years ago eras ago yeah (sighs) makes me feel old just thinking about it Yeah, I don't know how GameStop is like still in business, though. Like that seemed like that was like they were demanding to stay open during the pandemic because they needed the money from those two games coming out. I uh, honestly thought about walking into a GameStop the other day. I was just kind of like, I wonder what that would be like. It's kind of crazy. The last time I went in one was to get Death Stranding, which was like a year and a half ago at this point, or maybe a year and a couple months. But it's uh, just. It's all like fandom objects now. Them and Hot Topic are kind of like a, they should just like join forces because they're both just like approaching this apex point of like selling mm-hmm. Funko Pops for anime and T-shirts for anime. And that's like the cross section that they're trying to hit. I recently I was thinking about this a lot with, uh, you know, obviously it's been like a year or so since we did our Baby Yoda episode 
but Baby Yoda has been firmly back in the discourse. Baby Yoda even has a real name now, which I don't remember because I didn't watch that shit. Um, but the other day I was walking through Bed-Stuy and I saw two adult men on the street and one of, and I kind of overheard some of their conversation and this one of the dudes had driven a distance to hand deliver some like sold out giant baby Yoda collectible to this other dude. Like they were friends and it like seemed like they were kind of in this like collectible networks, you know, oh, of, yeah. of, you know, he was the hookup. It wasn't like some kind of Craigslist deal. It was like this guy was in the know. And it was just really making me think about like, I don't know. I think I saw an article. Maybe it was like a that, Supreme baby Yoda. <laughs> my god no the off-white baby yoda um the writer rips baby yoda the cia rebrand baby yoda sorry i'm going way too far very yeah. dating this podcast instantly um just a lot of discourse trying to pack all the a year's worth of discourse yeah, into one episode just getting every, getting everybody up to date but uh i i don't know i saw an article about this and i just saw the headline and I was kind of like, oh, that's an interesting idea and hadn't read it. So apologies to the author for not giving you credit either. But it was about how like, you know, the whole kind of toy collectible market is just literally collectibles now. It's like for adults to amass and like sit on their shelves and, and accrue value over time and not like kids toys to be played with so much. And uh, I saw the other day on Twitter that there's like, uh, like Thomas Kincaid estate licensed baby Yoda painting and like a whole Mandalorian line. And in fact, they actually have all of these like supremely gaudy, like DC and Marvel and Disney paintings in, you know, the style of the late great Thomas Kincaid, the, the painter I've seen of some of the Some of the Disney ones like years ago. I remember yeah. like the paintings of like the parks or some of the, some of the other attractions yeah. and, and movies and stuff in that style. It's, I mean, it's kind of wild because, you know, those are like for the, you know, the Disneyland ones, you know, it's like a real place still. It's like still kind of like, okay, why do you need that? But, you know, this, these like tableaus of like Gotham City on fire. Uh, it's just kind of like imagine walking into someone's home and they have that. It's just kind of wild. Um, anyway, we're, we're getting i don't know where we ended up at but this is not kind of the notes we had sketched out but i guess we're in the hot box we're in the rift zone um yeah but i don't know one of the things i mean obviously it's like you know not to be too heavy or dark but it was a kind of tremendous year of loss and like decay and death and things ending or crashing or otherwise changing um and I feel like it's kind of rare that you, we go through a year where it's like you really feel like, whoa, this is like some kind of beginning or end of a new historical era and a real moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. Part of it may just come with like getting older. Yeah, for sure. And just like witnessing more stuff happening. But I don't know. I feel like there 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 was a very like palpable feeling of like change and like, you know, world politics, um, world economics, you know, different entertainment industries 
that we usually like talk about on here. And I think that we have like kind of like documented a little bit just over the course of like having conversations through the year. Totally. I mean, you know, there were a certain amount of our own plans for the podcast shifted um, and certain, you know, like, for example, like the bloodshot episode at the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, you saw that in theaters. I was going to see that in theaters and then everything kind of shut down and it sort of affected what we ended up talking about and what we did for that episode. Kind of same with like First Cow or some of the other things we've talked about this year where, you know, we could we maybe would have still talked about those movies in, in another version of the year. But the way we talked about them was definitely impacted by the year. Yeah. But also one other thing we mentioned on a previous episode was like our plans for for recording stuff has also been impacted by the year where we initially when the lockdown hit we're like well i guess we got all this free time we can put more time into planning researching yeah and producing episodes and stuff but then i don't know i mean this is something that i've kind of thought about in terms of like like game backlogs and stuff and like how my like behaviors as like a game player have changed over the pandemic where like i don't know in games culture there's like kind of this like culture of like building backlogs of not just like Mm -hmm. games that you have played but you just like own so many games that you haven't played all of them so you're like like almost disciplining yourself and making like a uh, a curriculum of like oh well i'm gonna play this next then i'm gonna play that one i'm gonna play that one um it's a little bit of like what people do with TV shows as totally. well, in part because just the amount of time that games and TV shows usually take to consume um, and the dedication. But I don't know. I mean, like in my experience of like modding consoles and stuff or just like building backlogs to like, you know, buying games and everything. There's always kind of this like fantasy of, oh, well, I'm buying this game as almost like a promise to myself or I'm downloading this game as like a promise to myself or like a little bit of a fantasy of having the free time yeah and like being in the mindset to really engage with this thing that i've heard so much about or something like that and it's all like i don't know this year was in one way kind of like made for that fantasy or was like in some ways like that the the real version of that where it's just it's Mm -hmm. like a you said earlier when we were talking before we recorded it's kind of like a year of rainy days and like that rainy day came and i like you know, we didn't really record all these podcasts that we thought we would just because, I don't know, it was like just hard to get in that mindset because like world events and stuff. And it's also like hard to like play all those games, watch all those movies and shows uh, just because your mind is so totally elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it definitely, I think, was impacted by the uprising over the summer where like for a while we didn't really want to record or release stuff because it just felt kind of pointless or stupid or not the right time but also like literally like that shifted and affected my attention and ability to pay attention to stuff and like i think i talked about this throughout the year a little bit but at the beginning of the pandemic for a long time like i feel like um or for the last maybe the year and a half before that like beginning of 2019 I feel like I'd had such a hard time really seriously engaging with movies. I was really distracted and I was just wanting to watch like smooth brained bullshit. Um, And I was watching a lot of TV because I was like, A, I was depressed and TV is good for depression. And also I just like wanted to avoid a lot of things and a lot of responsibilities and TV is a great avoidant. 
Um, and suddenly the pandemic happened and everything kind of shut down and like, I didn't really have anything to avoid anymore because there was no work coming in. So I just felt like I, you know, I finished up a, a show and I was like, well, I don't know what show to start next. And it doesn't really feel purposeful to watch TV right now because there's nothing to avoid. So I was getting more seriously back into movies and watching kind of like some masterpieces I'd been meaning to see for a while and really dedicating myself and paying attention in a way I had it in a while. Then the uprising happened, started paying attention to the world, you know, having to pay attention to the world more, just like a time set in and just kind of, I don't know, it's been a lot of tedium and a lot of like both it's like a chaotic static you know kind of in the background of the year and that's so it's been hard to keep up that focus so it kind of faded for a while and then it's come back sometimes um and now i think we're both in the rhythm of wanting to record more and feeling more excited about the podcast going into 2021 i feel similarly with like movies and stuff where you build up this backlog sometimes of like rare files or like you get access to things that you've been dying to see and then they're just kind of there. And once you have the time, you don't get into it. Or, I mean, you realize that the time isn't the only thing you need. Yeah, exactly. No, it's not just time. It's kind of like, I mean, one thing I've been really trying to tell myself over the past few years, because I can get in my head sometimes and beat myself up for like not having seen all of the great uh, important masterpieces that like others have seen sometimes. Uh, I've only seen like two Bergman movies or whatever the fuck, you know, like, but it's just kind of like things come in their own time. And sometimes it's better to just like wait for the moment to watch a certain thing or engage with a certain thing to kind of naturally arise rather than trying to force it. Cause sometimes it's even worse to like, sometimes you'll, you would love something if it came to you naturally, but if you try to force it, it doesn't work out. And it's just even worse than not watching it. So I guess, you know, this has been a, I don't know, decaying attention has been a big factor of this year, but I've just been kind of reflecting a lot of like a lot of ways in like how things have sort of ended and changed. And obviously a lot of our interests, both of us are very digital and a lot of the ways I've been thinking about that have been kind of digitally facilitated. Right now we are talking over Google Hangouts, which is how we have talked over most of our episodes in the past. And that is a platform that is like shutting down like next week or something and now it's google meet yeah and like i guess it's i mean i guess the only thing that's different is like you can't do international calls anymore uh or something uh, but still kind of a end of an era and i mean even bigger end of an era one that's kind of been ending for a while but is officially ending is you know flash shutting down like next week i keep getting the notifications to like uninstall flash and i haven't yet because Flash, Flash changed me. I got Flash pilled as a kid. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in games have been talking about like the end of Flash and like Flash games and Flash animations and stuff and kind of what that signifies. Um, and a lot of people have kind of like just over the course of the year, I've noticed it. Um, but like the games industry is shifting a little bit um in this way where like this year was like one of the most successful for it mm -hmm. um but also like the games that came out this year given it was like last year of the old consoles first year of the new ones so you have a lot of like developers changing over to that new um hardware or they're just like making stuff for it so like the things that they release this year are kind of just like you know a lot of remakes remasters yeah. 
so many a lot of kind of minor stuff yeah and also like plenty of stuff that's like you know getting delayed and everything so the crop of releases this year wasn't exactly like ideal to begin with like there's supposed to be a halo game there's supposed to be i mean i'm sure cyberpunk would have been like in a in a more clean shape if they didn't have to work from home and all that but anyway so you know a lot of people are kind of noticing this stuff and also noticing just like very kind of apolitical very like product oriented Mm -hmm. like game releases game coverage and stuff and and what flash whenever people like talk about that and remember it very fondly what they kind of remember is like the ability to make kind of quick of the moment political statements in games I mean, you think about how awful a lot of the political statements were like after 9-11 when George Bush was president in Flash games. You think about all the like the awful reactionary. All the mini clip like Bush versus John Kerry shoot shoot him up games or like Tony Blair games. Well, I mean, you think about all that stuff and how like free a lot of that expression was. I mean, given like how toxic those like communities on the Internet could be at times. Um, but that's like something a lot of people like see as like not really coming back um, in video games, at least in like such a widely accessible way that's just in the browser, not something you have to like download on itch and play on your own computer. I think that's one thing we just see over time with so many digital platforms is just like the kind of, to put it bluntly, means of production being taken away a little bit more from from the users. And I mean, obviously, like, Things on the internet are always complicated because it's produced by someone for someone to consume and use. And so there's always a sort of relationship where, like, you feel like it's a tool for expression, but it's always on somebody else's terms. But it just feels like that's increasingly shrinking um, with, like, I mean, for example, the recent, like, tightening of restrictions on Instagram um, that have that have really harmed I mean, so many people, but specifically sex workers and, and you know, even people who aren't sex workers who are just queer on Instagram or even people who are just trying yeah. to post and share information about sex work even are being uh, yeah. deplatformed and, and blocked and, and stuff and having their posts taken down. Yeah. And another example of that is like on OnlyFans, Sean Baker and Bella Thorne made her like an OnlyFans profile. Yeah, because they were like researching for some movie that she's going to be in about sex work. And she like was the first person to reach like a million dollars in subscriber in like subscribers. And then she withdrew it. And that like was too much money to withdraw at one time. So then the OnlyFans terms of service had to get changed. And it actually affected like sex workers who like make their living and are able to survive through OnlyFans because they're not able to get their money when they need it. Yeah, like it. Yeah, no, it's it's slowed down payment, and I think it also um, they lowered the like maximum amount that like you could get tipped or that people could send you. Um, actually, my housemate uh, Aaron Taylor wrote a really good in depth article about the Bella Thorne stuff for I believe Bitch Media. If if people want to read more about that. But yeah, and I mean, also everything going on too with like Pornhub and stuff is kind of another example of that. But then you also have just had, because it has been a literal economic crisis, you've had so many great sites and outlets for journalism and and writing and criticism that have 
been shut down. Um, for me, really, the kind of the biggest example, and that's just because I wrote for them and I did a lot of work for them that I was really proud of. And I was always hoping to do more. Um, but that was the outline, um, which I just thought was a really just, you know, I'm biased again because because uh, they were, I feel like, one of the first sort of big sites that let me do really sort of offbeat, long form pop culture analysis, but also like paid me well uh, and and were just like really good and and educational to work with. Um, I really owe a lot to my former editor, Jeremy Gordon, uh, in terms of just like learning more about writing and stuff uh, and and all of that. But, um, you know, that's a site that they their kind of whole beat and deal was just like stuff that wouldn't get covered elsewhere stuff that d doesn't really have a like precise beat you know just like weird off the off the beaten path m maybe kind of alternative points of analysis um and they shut down at the very beginning of the pandemic and so that was just making me reflect on like a lot of my my several years of writing online or producing content online to put it more crassly and just how many sites i've written for or worked for that are now defunct or zombie sites or hardly exist or have been bought and turned into some total unrecognizable version of themselves. Um, there's just so many and it's just kind of feels like accelerating. But I don't know. I was also thinking about that same kind of fragility and instability a lot in regards to like music and rap music online. Um, I wrote a review this year of the Clams Casino compilation Instrumental Relics, which like remastered and put up a lot of his old beats on streaming for the first time. And it was just making me think about how much rap from earlier in the 2010s specifically, so much, you know, so-called SoundCloud rap or Tumblr rap or whatever you want to describe it as that just like has been scrubbed or deleted or is just kind of missing now or maybe on people's computers but can't be widely accessed. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this with, you know, Playboy Cardi's whole lot of red, which just finally dropped and like how people don't really know this whole earlier part of his career when he was coming up with awful records because it's just been scrubbed basically. Um, or like, uh, a, you know, a really potent example is like space ghost perp. Who's just both constantly deletes his profiles, but also has them deleted and has just been, you know, kind of written out of the narrative in a lot of ways. I keep, I'm, I'm going on this very long tangent and shit, but I've just been like, I don't know. I've just been specifically in my thoughts about this recently um, because of the uh, child rapper Lil Shark, who really sadly just passed away. But, you know, a lot of people became aware of him in like 2014 when he was like 11 years old. He had this song called Awesome. It was just this kind of like, you know, joke sort of young lean type cloud rap song uh, that went mildly viral. And at the time I was running this blog of my own and I was like, oh, this kid is ridiculous. Like what's going on here? I bet I could get a lot of clicks if I interviewed him. So I conducted this really weird interview with him, which was like. I don't know. I always felt weird about because it, it felt a little bit gawking to me, maybe just with this kid over Twitter DMs. Space Coast Perp, who was, I think, dealing with a lot of mental health stuff at the time and being very erratic online, as he is known to be, tweeted like, fuck Lil Shark. And I was like, damn, Lil Shark, like, what do you think about that? And he was like, it hurts my feelings. 
And then I tweeted out that interview and Space Ghost Perp saw and I described it as a beef between them. And he was like, what the fuck? This isn't a beef. Like, this is a kid. I'm not beefing with a kid. But then it like became a beef. And he was just like saying like, fuck little shark. Like, and it was honestly some kind of funny stuff. But it was also just like weird because it's just like this grown man and this kid. And I kind of inadvertently escalated the whole thing, just being a dumb wannabe rap journalist. So when I saw that little shark died, I was just kind of like thinking about that and just thinking about just like the fragility of all of these things involved, you know, just like all of these people, the, the music and work of these artists, uh, like my own blog, other sites that have existed in the past or that I've written for and just you know, these weird stories of people's lives that are just like now, like, I don't know, internet folklore or something. And it's just like so much is unstable anyways, long tangent, but just been in my feelings about that. <laughs> yeah. The only other real, like, I guess while we're on this topic of just like kind of like corporate tools, changing platforms changing and stuff like that. The only other real thing I have to note is like, uh, Twitch yeah. which has been really popular this year uh, as a lot of people have you know kind of wanted like just the like ambient comfort of like hanging out with somebody else as they play video games or as they so make music whatever a lot of people have been using Twitch um, but they also mm -hmm. like have made a lot of changes to like their like copyright use and stuff like that so I don't know a lot of people have been getting in like band situations or or a lot of like trouble over like playing music on their stream that isn't theirs even though they'll credit the artists and stuff like that or they'll get in trouble for like playing certain video games or stuff like that there was this like weird situation with cyberpunk when that came out where there was a streamer mode for it where it would turn off the use of the music mm -hmm. in the game so that you wouldn't get flagged for like playing this music illegally even though it's in the game that you purchased and even though this game is is you know, it's called cyberpunk, right? It's supposed to be about sticking it to the man or whatever. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, that game's a whole thing that uh, ne neither of us played. I don't really know that I have a big interest in talking about it, but I feel like that game also like encapsulates a good bit of just like the general mm -hmm. like state of like video games coming out this year. Cause the, I don't know, the whole thing is just kind of like, I think I made a joke about this, when before the review came out but at polygon their reviewer said that the game was dad rock wow and that's kind of the vibe that i was getting off like that take on cyberpunk before it came out was that it just seemed kind of like freaking awesome greatest hits mm -hmm. stuff with no real like actual questioning of like the authoritarian bodies that be though that game like being uh broken enough to get like delisted from like digital platforms which I don't really know that that's ever happened before. Yeah, at least at like that level. That does hold up a little bit of the punk to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that is true. You know, punk was all about uh, first, you know, like not knowing how to play your instrument and not being like professional or well-produced, you know, like being the anti-Steely Dan. So in some way, making this like kind of incompetently incomplete unplayable game is like sort of the ethos of punk now that you point it out yeah maybe you're onto something there but i don't know yeah you know you mentioned twitch and, and i was just kind of thinking about it more from like the angle of 
of film streaming that I've seen done on Twitch, which has been very interesting. You know, I've I've had a few friends who have done just kind of like private group watches on Twitch and stuff, which has been fun. But there have also been sort of people who've been doing it more for like a mass audience. And it's sort of I don't know, it's it's complicated and uh i think a lot of people you know are definitely looking for another <laughs> platform maybe just because a it's obviously owned by amazon used by the u.s military for recruitment there's all this censorship and stuff and and both in terms of copyright but also in terms of uh like you know just like language and whatever just general expression and also content like they'll ban games with like I don't know, like homoerotic, yeah. like nude scenes and stuff like that in it. But and I don't know, games like Lady Killer in a Bind or Robert Yang's work and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They'll ban those from being shown on Twitch. But then I don't know, just really like boring AAA games with like sex scenes in them are kind of like totally fair game mm-hmm. on Twitch. You know, some of the interesting streaming projects that people have done with film that I've seen on Twitch have been like the Museum of Home Video, which just is this sort of like self-collected archive of just strange found footage from decades of of television international television you know people's actual home videos all kinds of ephemera and they did a really amazing jerry lewis uh mda labor day telethon marathon that was just assorted curated clips from years of jerry lewis's labor day telethons which i just thought was like so fascinating to watch um, and I ended up watching hours of that on Labor Day. Um, and also Spectacle Theater, which is this like re- kind of radical DIY micro cinema here in New York, um, which sort of a very quickly jumped on streaming and started putting a lot of, of programming out on Twitch and sort of building a community around Twitch like they had had previously physically. But I know that, you know, they're sort of a collective and, and are, are, very supportive of of leftist causes and very involved in like community activism and stuff so i know that they were always kind of looking for something that wasn't twitch and they actually just launched a streaming platform of their own which is stream.spectacletheater.com which is really cool you know it's basically the same kind of conceit as twitch with like chat and stuff but you know it's like totally under their purview now which is kind of amazing um it's also something that i i have like uh possible small conflict of interest because my my girlfriend and friends are involved in running it but there's been a really great political streaming screening series on twitch once every month um put on by the dsa caucus emerge here in new york but of course the screenings because they're on twitch are open to people anywhere Um, but just once once a month they've been screening like really amazing like leftist radical documentaries like um finally got the news um and this really amazing doc about like the revolution in granada which i didn't really know anything about um so it's just it's cool to see those kind of tools put to more radical ends but i'm glad to see that people are sort of building their own platforms because i feel like that's just something that's needed at so so many levels of the internet you know we can't rely on these corporate tools indefinitely um it's just not it's just not trustworthy. So I guess maybe with that, we should pivot to a little movie chat. Yeah. A little we, cinema corner. We didn't really want to do like a top 10 or anything like that, but we tried to collect some like movies that we, we felt like needed to 
needed some kind of discussion that we didn't really see getting it elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know, you know, that's kind of the thing about the end of the year and end of year lists is that it's just sort of, there are a lot of times interesting moments or ideas and images in movies that are like a little middle of the road or not even middle of the road, but just like, you know, they're good, but just like they don't, they, they're not like the, the movies that are like the best of the best. They're just like good movies. And so I don't know. I just kind of wanted to talk about some things that I feel like haven't have have been left out of discussion or haven't even or haven't been seen as much or as widely um because i feel like just because the year was so weird for movies you know there was a lot of divergence in what people saw but there is also like a lot of consensus you know like we talked about first cow we like first cow but everybody likes first cow <laughs> you know yeah there's a couple of rallying points i think but yeah, and I mean, there's some that we've even talked about on this podcast. We don't really want to retread, like Bloodshot or The Hunt or Tenet. Yeah, Tenet, you know, that's a that's a major vibe right there. But we don't need to relitigate. We don't need to invert the discourse and go back to the past. I guess just like real quickly, some some things that I thought were were pretty good that like people have been kind of talking about and that I don't have a ton to say about, but I just wanted to shout out. Um, I think really my favorite movie of the year was um, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which is this sort of docu-fiction by Bill Ross IV and Turner Ross, who are documentarians, and it sort of presents itself as seemingly a documentary about the last 24 hours in the life of this dive bar uh, in Las Vegas called Roaring Twenties. You just have this sort of rotating cast and crew of, of regulars who come in and out of the bar, longtime patrons, just from people from all walks of life, young people, students, older folks, retired folks, veterans, just all kinds of people. And it all feels just like, I don't know, especially with just kind of the year and everything, it felt very sort of cathartic and, and very bittersweet. Um, but the, the thing that's really kind of fascinating to me about it is, is that it's all sort of uh, staged a little bit like it was actually filmed at a bar I think in New Orleans and the people in it are for the most part like non-professional actors you know they're still ostensibly real people but they were sort of street cast or people that the Ross has met at bars or just at random places and thought were interesting and, and like their vibe or persona and wanted to put them in a room together. Um, so I just thought it was this sort of like interesting sort of experiment and microcosm, but also found it really emotionally affecting. Um, yeah. One of the ones that I uh, really enjoyed from this year um, was the movie Spree. Oh yeah. A little, uh, a little uh, discourse generator, that movie, huh? Yeah. What discourse did you see generated by it? Oh, I mean, I didn't really like actually see anything. I just mean, you know, it's very topical. It's it's about it's about things. You know, it's really about some some issues. Kind of uh, the yeah. latest film from from independent filmmaker Eugene uh, Kotler, Kotler, God Kot 
Lyurenko. I looked, I listened to pronunciation of the last name before recording and I still kind of fucked it up. So apologies, Eugene, if you are listening, because you often retweet people who are talking about Spree. So I feel like you will probably somehow end up listening to this. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I don't know. I, I have a, I had a fun with that movie. That movie is uh it's a real freak show and I love it. It's a real wild ride, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Break it down for us, for the listeners at home. What's the deal? What's with Spree? It's like a it's a like basically a serial killer movie done or set up through kind of this scenario of like a kid who desperately wants to be a content creator with just like nothing to say but he just keeps making content with just following the hope of like all the really successful content creators who will say like oh you just gotta get you gotta put the hours in you just gotta make stuff and the audience will come like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. which of course like that's what successful people did but that's also what plenty of not successful people did and they didn't they didn't get an audience through that the virtual bootstraps Mm -hmm. yeah well you know it's that confirmation bias of all the the successful content creators like yeah of course it worked for them but that didn't also work for other people who did the same thing and maybe just like didn't have the personality didn't have the angle didn't have the looks didn't have whatever Mm -hmm. um but anyway uh so this kid really wants to be a content creator and then he starts basically just like live streaming himself as a rideshare driver and then he kills the people and his ride share. Um, so it's a bit of a screen life movie. You have lots of screen capture. You have all these GoPros strapped around his car. Um, and the main character is played by Joe Carey. I think Joe Carey. He's like he plays like Steve on Stranger Things, I think, is the his character's name on there. Um, but I don't know. I haven't really seen a movie that like captures the essence of someone who just desperately wants to create content Mm -hmm. with just like nothing to say. And they're really bad at it. Yeah. I think that is a very interesting conceit because it's such a class of online content creator. That is, you know, there are so many just failed people without audiences desperately trying. And that's not something that's like, I feel like when movies try to deal with social media and digital spaces it's like they deal with people who like do genuinely succeed at going viral or something like that and not somebody who's failing yeah or you just have like movies that like don't i don't know movies about online with with no nothing that the movie sees as like being cringeworthy for lack of a better word um and movies about the internet with like no nothing like to cringe at are usually the movie is like what you end up cringing at you're just like this is just this sucks this isn't how it is Mm -hmm. i don't think that movie should be your model for reality or that that's like the best like criteria to evaluate something on but usually whenever something is like about the internet which I mean, even if you say you're not a gamer, you play video games in the same way that even if you say you're not really an internet person, everyone has like kind of just like a feel for what the texture of the internet is like and like the type of people you encounter, the like feeling of the different types of behaviors people do on there and everything. Um, I don't know, just because especially this year, everything is like so immersed in that ecosystem 
that whenever something is off, it's like so it's so apparent, like it's hard not to see or hard not to think about. Um, and mm-hmm. I think this movie gets a lot of that digital texture really, really nicely. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Eugene is a filmmaker who, uh, I mean, has genuinely spent time in online spaces and, you know, isn't just sort of like gesturing at some kind of vague idea of the Internet. I mean, as I mentioned, he's very active on Twitter. And I read that he like all of the sort of comments you see from people in the movie online are like were actually all written by him um so you know that takes some kind of knowledge of of how the internet works and looks yeah and there are parts of the movie um that kind of show how things like get not just like what it's like when someone creates something on the internet but i think the thing that gets at like kind of what I was talking about with like kind of knowing how it feels to use the internet or how it feels to like see something um, is that the movie like also spends a a good deal showing how things circulate on there and how things get Mm -hmm. sorted based off like the type of person. So like whenever somebody's really bad at making content, like the type of comments they get or something that this movie I think focuses on and gets a little bit correct. I think, uh, I don't think you mentioned also the movie was acquired by Drake produced by Drake Oh, yeah. Let me. Along with, you know, Spree and Euphoria are the Drake content. Uh, It's Drake. Drake put the seal of approval on it. It's like Oprah's book club, but OVO. I'm trying to see. I took a picture of the production card for his company. I want to remember what their name is. But it looks like the like so far gone. Dream Crew Entertainment. It's Dream Crew Entertainment. But yeah. Wow. Just making dreams. But yeah, it's like a little child standing on top of a stack of letters with hearts sprinkling down on it. It's just the so far gone. Yeah. Cover. We, we uh, but he also Eugene also just released another movie um, like literally this week, which we both watched. And we are some of the only people to have logged this on Letterboxd so far. So I think we will probably be introducing it to more people than have than are aware of it. Uh, but it's called We Are. Um, and it's just available for free, like through Vimeo on this website. We are dot FYI. Yeah, but it's like a. 72 minute shorter type feature yeah very short um very i mean much more sort of new york low budget kind of independent film um filmed by sean price williams who has filmed you know movies by the safties alex ross perry michael almereda you know just really like kind of the the dp i think of like contemporary american independent cinema um and also has keith polson who is again in a lot of like alex ross perry bob byington like different you know just like indie mumblecore type or uh or post mumblecore maybe type movies um and also in kind of <laughs> fitting with the whole online theme perhaps, but you know, she's also an actress in independent films is uh, Dasha. Of course, one of the, one of the lucky few who people who is just iconically known by one name, of course, the infamous co-host of red scare, um, which is a podcast that I think I'm too much of an innocent sweetie pie to be able to handle listening to, but, you know, I think Dasha is honestly pretty good 
screen presence. I really like her as a screen presence in some ways. Like, yeah, I don't really know that I have an interest in watching Wobble Palace, which is that actor and director's previous collaboration. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I enjoyed her acting in this movie. I don't know. I was just watching this movie and so much of it. I was just like, I was just like cracking up at some of the shit. Like, I don't know. Just all the, all the people in this movie are just like shitheads and the stuff they say is so funny. The thing that's really interesting to me about it is, uh, you know, it's like the poster and stuff build it as like the lost masterpiece. And so I was sort of a little curious about it. And just because it's like, it has fidget spinners as this sort of recurring motif. It's about virtual reality. There's a lot of jeweling. It feels very of a few years ago. And there was like a, a moment where there's like this video gets uploaded to YouTube and the date is like sometime in 2018. So I was kind of wondering like, either this is like intentionally a period piece about a few years ago or it was filmed a few years ago and then like just released. And yeah, um, I, I confirmed that it was filmed in like 2017, 2018 and then Eugene just edited it and put it out this year. Um, and I don't, you know, know why exactly that happened, why he kind of sat on it um, or, or moved away from it. But in some ways I really actually like that idea because it is such a, digital like startup culture internet vr movie and a lot of times movies with that kind of imagery dealing with those kind of themes become so instantly dated yeah and so by waiting on it for a few years this sort of retroactively has become kind of a period piece and so it's you know it's not trying to be of the moment on the pulse necessarily and so it feels just kind of like this trippy sort of almost like magical realist like uh take on just kind of the strange metallic world of manhattan uh in the late 2010s it reminded me a lot of uh the movie job's world by mike belondick which actually i think was also shot by shine sean price williams and has they've worked with a lot of the same people and are in the same world and stuff um but i don't know they're just both very like colorful sort of uncanny takes on new york and also on sort of independent filmmaking a little bit too i think yeah and also like in keeping with the period i was kind of wondering because like vr centers are like not really a thing anymore i mean obviously because the last year but like i don't know i remember like this mall in the town where i used to live that had been just like on the outs for a while they kept renovating it they added like shopping on the outside. They added a movie theater on the outside. They added restaurants on the outside, but it didn't bring people inside the mall. So you go mm-hmm. inside and leave like kind of the nice additions on the outside. And it's like just kind of dead. There's like an arcade that went in there that went out of business. There's mini golf that went in there and went out of business, which like once mini golf goes out of business in your mall, that means you're really on like two strikes <laughs> oh my God. about to go out. And then like there was another arcade, but then there was a VR center that went in there. And that was like, I don't know, that kind of just encapsulates the whole like public VR. I don't know the whole thing, but also like virtual reality. I feel like people Mm -hmm. have kind of like realized that it's just like, I don't know, it's not going to change anything. Like, I don't know, like a third Half-Life game came out this year only to VR. And that just like came and went. I didn't even know that, honestly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, when I first moved to New York in like 2017, I remember seeing some like stray VR centers and, you know, they just seemed like very empty and 
liminal and weird, which is sort of the kind of vibe that you get from this movie too, where it's just this like sleazy tech startup playground and an excuse to waste money. And in some ways I also kind of like that this movie is now like, you know, has been sat on for several years because it really makes it into this sort of like failed future, you know, because like Keith, the Keith Paulson character and his boss are like, Oh, VR, like this is so great. This is going to change things. And like, um, the Dasha character is kind of skeptical the whole time. Um, and so I don't know, it just sort of, there's this sort of feeling of failure throughout the kind of, throughout the whole movie, I feel like. And that's really just sort of driven home by the fact that VR has definitely not turned out to be some kind of media savior or like transformative experience for people. It hasn't revolutionized how we live or anything like that. So I, yeah, I, I'm really, I don't know, looking forward to more more of his movies honestly um yeah because i've been intrigued honestly honestly kind of looking forward to to more dasha performances what can i say she has a cinematic voice not just a podcasting voice but it's a good it's a good full (laughs) like kind of actor voice i don't know what can i say and i think her affect on screen is really really enticing too yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a kind of just icy, more, yeah, more like disaffect. Yeah, you know, a kind of trance, transness. I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I I think that some of the other movies that I I was sort of interested in mentioning similarly have these kind of like I don't know they they were I wanted to talk about them for sort of similar reasons that we wanted to talk about Spree and We Are because they were sort of commenting on like digital culture in a way, um, like really one of my favorite movies of the year ended up being the YouTube original Paris Hilton documentary This Is Paris, directed by Alexandra Dean, um, which I thought was really interesting because you know Paris Hilton like a lot of cultural ephemera from the early and mid 2000s that was once considered intensely lowbrow and trashy has sort of gone this popular reconsideration and people are always like oh you know she's actually like really intelligent and it's like playing this character doing this performance all of this stuff um, which is like which is like very true you know like she is kind of in an artist in that way and like very much playing and putting on a star persona. Um, but it's also, I think a little complicated, always sort of rehabilitating a sort of figure icon like that, just cause she is a very wealthy person and like, a, you know, sometimes kind of conservative in her politics perhaps. But I thought this was yeah. super interesting because it's very much a production and makes itself known as being, you know, from the Hilton brand and a sort of state of the union on her celebrity status. Um, But it's also in many ways very interesting because it's like this coming out movie. It's her sort of being honest and open both with her own actual literal family, but also with the public about the time she spent as a teenager and these like horribly abusive and traumatic, like, air quotes boarding schools for girls where you know they just like sent these like sent difficult girls to these places to these camps where they were just like traumatized and abused emotionally and sometimes even physically or sexually um so it's about her kind of like owning that 
that trauma and that part of her life that she had sort of been hiding and, and disassociating from for so long, but also about reconnecting with, with just like other survivors and other people and sort of presenting herself in this very new kind of honest, flawed, uh, light, a more complicated way than she had been allowed herself to be portrayed before. And I thought it was very interesting because it's sort of, I don't know, it just really like explored her sort of relationship to the persona she puts on and the affect she puts on and a sort of like, I don't know, it felt sort of like a queering of Paris Hilton in some ways, because it's sort of about like, she has these like two voices she flips between. She has the sort of like hyper femme, like vocal fried character she plays. And then like a voice that's like much more kind of lo a little deeper and calmer and, and just more natural and, and not this character. So it's just sort of about her relationship with that character relationship with just the people in her life um there's also this insanely harrowing and uncomfortable scene where she's like about to go on stage to do a set at an edm festival and she's been dating this like german guy and she's like really excited about the relationship and she's like oh i haven't opened up to somebody like this in a long time and then he just gets like super wasted at the edm festival and keeps like smashing her computer closed and just like being a jerk and shit and she's like crying and like asking him to just like be quiet or like leave her alone so she can get ready for this set. And it's just like, I don't know. It felt like uh, this real kind of intense moment and just like one of the scariest things, honestly, I saw in a movie this year and sort of, I felt kind of bold of her to put that in a movie. And I felt like, I don't know. It feels in a way like it's taking its aesthetic from like Sofia Coppola movies and stuff. Um, like it has a, uh, Jesus and Mary chain needle drop uh, and stuff. But I don't know. I felt like that kind of worked for it. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's been streaming this year. And, and I thought that was sort of a movie that got looked over. Um, another YouTube lower budget independent movie, not a YouTube original, but was posted to YouTube. Um, which is kind of topical is Joe Swanberg's build the wall, which is a sort of tongue in cheek title. Um, but it was produced during lockdown with like very minimal cast and crew. And it stars two very recurring collaborators of Joe Swanberg, Jane Adams and Kent Osborne, of course, star of uncle Kent and uncle Kent too. And also one of the co-creators of SpongeBob and adventure time and former a uh, comedy partner of Rob Schneider, you know, he's had a long wild life, uh, in show business. And I, uh, but he's also, I just love Kent Osborne's screen presence. He just seems like, I don't know, this just sweet kind of lovable guy. Um, but it's about him turning 50, uh, and living in the woods and Jane Adams comes for the weekend and there's sort of awkwardness and, miscommunication and some romance and some hijinks. And, um, it was just a very nice little movie about relationships between people that I thought, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it didn't try to be about quarantine or anything, but it was obviously produced because of it and affected by it. And I just thought it was one of the better sort of things that came out of that, um, that mode of production. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had some other movies I listed, but now I'm like, I've talked a lot about, I'm just kind of talking about movies. 
Um, <laughs> and you have not seen all of these movies. So it's yeah. just sort of me recommending them. But it is kind of interesting. I'll just quickly mention, like, literally mention, like, some of the other things I enjoyed, which were, like, um, I was really impressed with the Small Axe series, despite having not liked all of Steve McQueen stuff in the past. Um, it's interesting that it's distributed by Amazon because it's so politically direct and radical in a way I wasn't expecting. And so as you're seeing kind of with a lot of these movies, it's a lot of stuff that was just sort of streaming or distributed by streaming companies. And um, that's obviously been a thing for a while now, but just even more so this year than ever before. Yeah, I've been interested in checking some of those out because like, I don't know, Steve McQueen is someone who like has, I've been meaning to watch Widows, um, but you know, he, have you seen Widows? No, I haven't. Um, I don't know. His work has like interesting tangents and stuff in it. Like I remember really being into Hunger when that was like a blockbuster rental exclusive. <laughs> I really, really do not like shame. I, I just really hate that movie. Yeah, I, I can't with that movie, honestly. I did love his video for Kanye for all day. I feel like that. Um, and there's a lot of the kind of the energy in that in, of that music video and some of the like really uh, like high energy dance sequences in Lovers Rock. Um, but I just I don't know. I wasn't expecting like how kind of in touch this movie would be with like the history of like black radicalism and black nationalism in the UK and like how actively it would be sort of talking and name dropping like black theorists and stuff, you know, all of the films are about the like West Indian and Caribbean immigrant community in the UK from like the sixties to the early eighties. Um, and so it's got a lot of, you know, amazing like reggae dub, soul lovers rock raga all of that great kind of music from that era um but it's also i feel like very of the times now and 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 relevant and urgent and um it just i just really appreciated kind of how like directed is like there's a literal kind of part where a character like holds up black jacobins by clr james and like explains who clr james is and i was like i don't know like i know sometimes people think that kind of like political education in cinema is corny but i just found myself really appreciative of it because it feels like something that we need now and it is like weird i don't know it's weird that Amazon again, like Amazon distributed this and also distributed another really acclaimed release of the year, the documentary Time, which is all about prison abolition, basically. And kind of the the ideas promoted by both Small Axe and Time are very counter to what Amazon is as a company. Um so I while I'm very supportive of that that work, I am kind of like, it's a little weird that this is the platform that I'm viewing this on. And it kind of makes me think, wonder like, you know, I guess they're just trying to offset the damage they do with some like cultural capital. Yeah. But any other uh, 2020 releases or cinematic moments you felt the need to single out? One that I watched and like, I mean, enjoyed in a way that like kind of scraped my brain clean. And maybe I don't remember that much afterward was fat man. Oh, oh God. Mel Gibson is Santa Claus. 
who's trying to run a small business and has to take on a military production contract to keep the North Pole in business. Gritty. Yeah. Versus Walter Goggins, the hitman hired because a kid got a lump of coal. <laughs> and Walter Goggins has such a dark heart because he didn't get what he wanted for Christmas all those years ago. Uh, it's really some like, I don't know, that feels just like the plot of like the Island of Misfit toys or something, you know, just like vengeance or like toy story, you know, like yeah, there's something, some just spited child. Um, but it also had, I didn't see it, but it, you know, has those kind of like S Craig Zoller, like Cinestate sort of current, like genre vibes. I mean, particularly with the casting of Mel Gibson, um, did it feel like a reactionary, movie to you yeah i mean a little bit just because i mean it like feels a little bit like one of these like new liam neeson movies where it's just like this old guy who's just trying to make it in the world but the world is just so alien than what he's used to because like you know santa and his wife are like having to figure out how to make it through next year because all the kids are so naughty now that they can't even like the mm -hmm. U S government who has, he has some partnership with them. They won't give them enough money because the production is lower because they just have fewer toys to produce. Um, so it feels a little bit like dark world, dark mm -hmm. universe, um, reactionary. And then, yeah, like the, the military gives him like a production contract for their like drones and stuff. Oh my God. And that's how he has to like, he has to take that on to make it to the next year. So it feels like a little bit reactionary, but it's not like, it's not like political really in any way beyond just like general, like old man, cynicism, cynicism, mm -hmm. not cynicism. Yeah. I, uh, a movie that just like, I don't know, it kind of felt connected to a little bit to me, just like, in casting um was the movie freaky with vince vaughn um just because i don't know mel gibson and vince vaughn have had this sort of like joint career renaissance thanks to the films of s craig zoller and uh this is the next step of the vaughnaissance um directed by christopher landon who did happy death day and happy death day to you. And who also, um, he's, he's written a lot of movies, including some movies we've talked about in the podcast on the podcast in the past, like paranormal activities, two through four, um, Justin Schulman's viral and also a Seth classic disturbia. Hmm. Um, so it is kind of tied in a little bit with that sort of like, digital zeitgeist cinema um but freaky isn't really about that so much necessarily but it is a very like teen you know movie teen. high school movie and it's this body swap serial killer movie where vince vaughn is the serial killer who because of some magical ancient knife or whatever bullshit switches bodies with this young high school girl played by Catherine newton mm -hmm. and um so you know it's like the hot chick but a horror comedy teen movie um it has a suicide boys needle drop which of course i was a big fan of uh and, you know, it's not like an amazing movie or anything. It was just kind of fun. Um, but I am like always into the sort of 
complicated subtext of, of like body swap movies and stuff. And I just thought it was kind of an interesting movie about just like the relationship between self and corporeal form and about like being comfortable in your body and like owning it or whatever. So I don't know. That's pretty much, uh, as far as movies are concerned, probably yeah. movied out, but what about what about games? Games. We've talked a little bit about game trends. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I mentioned that so much of my gameplay this year has shifted to like multiplayer and social games rather than like dedicated single player stuff. We talk a lot on this podcast about Warzone. Yeah. But yeah, I mean a lot of my gameplay has shifted over to that kind of like teamwork competitive battle royale type stuff or even just general like multiplayer shooters it's weird because in a way this is just like a little bit of just like regression because like this is what i used to play all the damn time in like middle school and high school Mm -hmm. it's like shooter multiplayers and stuff i mean even i mean this Warzone is like a mode spinoff for modern warfare and this is like a reboot of this like modern warfare like subset of the call of duty games that were really popular when I was playing a lot of these multiplayers and stuff in middle school and high school. So, so it's interesting just because like, not only am I regressing to playing these like shooter multiplayers a bunch, but also it's like, it's, it's a reboot of the game that I used to play all the time. Damn. Rebooting your memories, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I mean, you know, I've, I've been there with you on the journey into multiplayer, but it's, I mean, I played like Team Fortress 2 and stuff and MMOs, um, but the sort of multiplayer FPS is very new to me or even third person shooter, you know, with like Fortnite and stuff is is newer to me. Um, but it's just because it's we've talked about this in the past, you know, we did two Battle Royale episodes. It's just oftentimes this sort of at least digitally like the only way that's really sort of equivalent to sort of casually hanging out with people, you know, because it's very hard to have a sustained zoom conversation with people it and multiplayer gaming allows you to like sometimes be intentionally talking and other times you're just sort of sitting there with the silence and it's not a big deal yeah or i mean you're like you have like an activity that you're doing together that's not as much like you know just talking about and catching up on just like stuff that's going on that may not be your favorite in life you know yeah exactly like you have something like to talk about yeah i guess this is called escapism i Um, guess so but i don't know i feel like it's been honestly kind of good socially in some ways for me even if it's maybe not great to just play the same game over and over again especially a game like call of duty yeah i mean it's i've definitely noticed like even in my dreams like sometimes like the imagery seeping into there yeah i mean it kind of gets into many facets of your life unexpectedly like when i was watching fat man i was like man walter goggins is is rocking a pretty legit loadout right now i was like knowing all the attachments he had no yeah i mean now i know so much more about guns Uh, i watched iron man 3 recently and i was like oh that val kilmer look-alike guy is holding a mac 10 yeah i don't know i feel like it I just and I know I'll understand all these like COD memes and like references and rap songs and stuff now that I didn't before and have just all all kinds of knowledge. Uh, good, good and ill. Um, but also, and I guess a quick anecdote, uh, something that happened to me recently, another way that Warzone has unexpectedly manifested in my life 
Um, I got a call about two weeks ago now from the Capitol Police, literal D.C. Capitol Police, the Congressional Police, from a special agent wanting to talk to me about a Twitter account. They left a voicemail. I called them back, and they were like, are you familiar with the Twitter account at Trillmore Girls? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's my account. And they were like, the special agent was like, "Have you know, do you know why, you know, we're congressional police, where we deal with the safety of Congress people? Do you know why we might be calling you? Any kind of posts you made recently uh, that we might be interested in? And I was like, I mean, honestly, I post a lot. I couldn't really tell you. And then he was like, on December 8th, 2020, uh, you posted a screenshot. Looks like it's from Call of Duty Warzone. And it was a screenshot of a game we were playing together where we picked up a bounty contract. And, you know, in that game, when you pick up a bounty contract, it tells you the name of the person that you're trying to hunt down. And the person, coincidentally, that we were trying to hunt down was named Nancy Pelosi. And so I thought it was really funny that it said eliminate Nancy Pelosi on the screen. So I posted that screenshot and I said, caption was your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Kill Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, I thought it was funny. And people were like, oh, like it was nice knowing you before you get suspended from Twitter. So I thought I might just get like, you know. Twitter told me to delete it or like a temporary ban or something. I was not expecting the literal feds to call, give me a call about this tweet. And they were like, he was like, so why did you post that? Like what, you know? And I was like, I saw that. And I was like, Oh God, do I have to explain Warzone to this guy? So I was like, um, have you ever played Warzone before? And the federal agent was like, yeah, I play, I play Warzone. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so you know how it works. You know what happens when you pick up a bounty. And I was like, I just thought it was funny. I saw this person was named Nancy Pelosi. And he was like, is that your username? And I was like, no, you know, I saw somebody else on their team named like Kamala Harris or something. And he was like, well, I mean, obviously you can see why we would be interested in this. You know, we have to investigate all threats and just, you know, cover our bases and, and, check in on things like this. And then he like had to go through these like routine questions, like asking me what medication I'm on, like about my mental health and stuff. If I own any weapons, if I thought about harming anybody and he was like, do you have any grudges against politicians? And I was just like, um, I mean, I have like political disagreements, but I don't want to like kill someone. Um, so it was just all very weird. And it was so hard just not to like, make jokes the whole time and like not take it serious. I don't know. It was just very, very fucking weird, but now they're looking out for me. So maybe a, a fed, maybe a special agent is even a special friend more like it is listening to this podcast right now. And is going to give me another call for recounting these events. But the weird thing is they didn't tell me they were like, you know, you didn't do anything illegal and they didn't even tell me to delete the tweet, but they were like, maybe just don't post things like that on the internet again. Felt like being scolded by a parent or a teacher or something, you know, yeah. just being like, About I saw wise online behavior. I saw what you posted, you know, you might want to think twice about putting that out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not telling you how to live your life, though. <laughs> so I don't, it's also just pretty funny to me that this dude, I mean, obviously, like, just uh, uh, you ask a random dude 
in America, if they've played or play Warzone or a Call of Duty game, like you have a good shot of the answer being yes. But it was just particularly funny to me, this federal agent plays Call of Duty because it's like this dude probably signed up, went to fucking Quantico, thought he was going to be Johnny Utah. And here he is just printing out my dumb ass shit posts all day long. Yeah. Not doing anything, you know, goes to the range maybe. And then just goes home and plays warzone yeah he gets his kicks he gets his hero complex from uh from dropping in verdance and getting that w yeah also it's kind of funny to me i mentioned that like you know the first modern warfare was kind of like a bigger deal uh to me earlier on in my life but this is kind of one of the first like online shooters you've really clicked with totally yeah and also cold war you uh you pick that up and that's like a reboot of the black ops franchise that was also really big in that earlier period of my life i don't know it's just weird to see it come back like this and now you're clicking with the the later versions of it totally i mean part of it feels for me personally just because like my access at home to m-rated games was like nil my access in general to video games at home was very limited as a kid so it was always on, on like going to friends houses and stuff to play shooters and i mean i loved them you know i played halo played gta different random shit you know i played some medal of honor games or whatever battlefront and i played actually i did own like battlefield 1942 or whatever but i was like oh mom buy this for me it's like historical it's it's educational it's about world war ii like i'll learn about europe from it or some shit uh i don't know part of it feels for me like recapturing like some kind of lost time or like some kind of teen fantasy but also it's kind of coinciding it with a period in my life where i've been like really interested in the cia and like watching all these oliver stone movies and shit and so it's just kind of like relevant to my interests a little bit um, but it also is just like, you know, we talked about the social element, which can be very fulfilling and also literally just like having a skill set that you feel yourself getting better at can be very fulfilling, even if it's also literally like military basic training in some ways. So, yeah, it's complicated, but I enjoy it for sure. Um, like some other things in games that I wanted to kind of note from this year were like, how popular or just like different kind of games that got popular that were kind of out of the ordinary from from most years like obviously like stream games and social games like fall guys mm -hmm. and among us phasmophobia jackbox were all like really popular jackbox was kind of a regular like play for me like i don't know i have a group that every week or yeah. two will get on there and just like type the craziest nonsense and our just literally scraping our brain clean of all the crap that Twitter puts there. That's yeah, that's where you put the drafts, you know, basically Jackbox yeah. shirts. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, like Microsoft Flight Simulator was really popular for a little bit. And also, I mean, if you look at any kind of like top 10 games of the year list or top whatever games of the year list, it's just full of remakes, re-releases like the Mario 3D stuff. The first Fire Emblem game got an English localization for the first time ever and both of those games are on like a limited digital release just because nintendo is like hurting for money i guess mm -hmm. so you can only buy them for a certain amount of time um but you know modern warfare and black ops both the resident evils all got or the resident evil 3 came out this year they remade that final fantasy 7 got a remake demon souls is like a ps5 launch game and a huge deal which is just bizarre when you consider the ps3 game was like 
very hush and whisper network kind of release. Mm-hmm. Tony Hawk one and two got a remake. Um, I don't know the new consoles launched and they just have like nothing new at all, which is really weird to see. I don't know. Anyway, so I mean, there were those some other like games that I clicked with that I wanted to mention were like Fuser, which you reviewed at Vice. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk at all about that. Yeah, I mean, it is a very uh, kind of spinning a lot of plates sort of game and lends itself to just like making insane mashups. But I did find it really interesting yeah. as this sort of game trying to recreate the act of DJing and mixing in a way that is, you know, I was expecting it would probably just be sort of comparable to like DJ hero or other rhythm games, um, other harmonics games where it's just sort of like the moving highway of notes, but it really kind of breaks DJing up into all of these pieces. And is this sort of almost constant tutorial and, you know, you can split tracks into vocal drum, bass, lead instrument, mix them all together. Um, but even beyond that, you know, you're playing with tempo, key change. You can start making loops on MIDI pads, adding effects. Um, just really, like, you know, you take requests from the audience. You have this sort of virtual crate that you can develop and customize. Lots of play with outfits and and stage lights and and you know, aesthetic features and stuff. So there's just like a lot of options and it's kind of overwhelming how much there is. Sometimes even the musical creation is pretty overwhelming because it wants you to change tracks out a lot um, and do a lot of stuff. And it's just, especially on the console, I think it's just a lot to keep track of and it's easy to get buttons mixed up because you're using the same buttons for so many different things. But I did just think that it was kind of a fascinating tutorial and almost like music theory. You know, it really is teaching you a lot of nuts and bolts stuff of like how to make things sound good together. And I mean, a lot of that is like work that is done for you. You know, obviously, it's not quite this easy to make tracks sync up together or, you know, it's not so easy to separate individual or isolate individual tracks of one song from one another, but it does teach you a lot of very real fundamentals. And it also kind of captures the very real life sort of like writing on edge feeling of DJing where like more than any other rhythm game that I've played before, you're genuinely kind of creating something new, even if it's out of old familiar parts, but it's just like, there's that feeling of like real sort of risk real sort of like writing, you know, towing the line, like you could mess up and fail at any moment. Um, but then when you hit that sort of perfect combination, it's just like euphoric. Um, so it just kind of, for me as somebody who's like actually DJs, uh, I just felt like it was a really good approximation or encapsulation of a lot of the, the, the things that I personally enjoy about DJing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've only played like some of the single player um and i've enjoyed it but it is such like a long on road for tutorials and stuff that like i get it kind of grates after you play it for a little while so it's like short sessions for sure almost i yeah i mean almost it feels like every level at least to the point that i played up into like i got to maybe the second or third to last kind of tier of levels and they're still like introducing new things almost every time. And I mean, how much you have to incorporate those new things is sometimes a little bit up to you. Yeah. 
but it's still just like so much to keep track of and they're just still constant it's still like just a constant learning curve which i mean in some ways is kind of like what it's like djing or mixing or just playing an instrument like you're constantly like learning something new or trying to improve or practice but it is sort of it, it is it is much harder with a game because it just feels like you're in tutorial mode for a lot of the game yeah and also like i don't know music games have kind of like been weird for a little while like after that like harmonics is kind of big hit with like rock band or games like guitar hero and and kind of that period of like music games that had like guitar and drum peripherals and stuff um i mean since then it's been kind of like weird i mean there's like plenty of like japanese rhythm games like the hatsune miku series are really popular um or like there's like a uh, free-to-play one an open source one called like osu but i don't know there haven't been a whole lot of like really big and popular ones and i think this is a really interesting and kind of creative approach to like a fun rhythm game that isn't just kind of rendering the player as like a a player piano definitely i think that's a great way to put it like because you are just sort of like in dj hero or or guitar hero or rock band kind of doing karaoke at a certain point and this is sort of much more open-ended much more options up to you you know it will say like drop a horn from this song or like drop a piano from an 80s song or something like that but really a lot of it is in your hands which is really cool yeah definitely there's only like one or two other ones i really wanted to touch on one of them is called umurangi generation um i don't know if you've heard of this game it's Mm -hmm. like a, a little bit popular on twitter it's a cyberpunk game that is like a photography simulation where you just it's you know kind of small budget little environments that you walk around in and you're given like objectives to go and take pictures and you're in kind of like this cyberpunk dystopian future. I don't know. You're just kind of like hanging out with friends, listening to like jungle music, mm-hmm. walking around, taking your photographs and stuff. But it was weird that when I played this game, because uh, it, in middle Tennessee, there was someone who, who set off a bomb next to my internet service provider, one of their like main like data centers for the whole Southeast United States. And so for, you know, for a couple days after or on yeah. Christmas and then afterward, I like didn't even have internet service, which is like an incredibly cyberpunk thing. Honestly, I don't know. We think about like cyberpunk being like the game 2077 being this far off like future thing where you're wiring in and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really bizarre when like, I'm seeing all these people talk about cyberpunk and like, like, I don't know that that happened. And like, I wasn't able to like talk to people. I mean, I was through like cell service, I guess, but you know, not being able to talk to people, nine eleven lines being down and all this stuff because of like an attack like that. But playing that game, I already had it downloaded on my computer during that time was really calming, but also kind of like made me kind of like see it in that different way. Um, but that game's incredibly cool, incredibly chill. Um, great environmental storytelling. You're just, wa- I mean, the whole th- the game is just forcing you to look at the environment and find like a place where you can find like seven birds, take a picture all in one or find a memorial to this person who was killed by this oppressive mm-hmm. force or, you know, find like a mountain or something like that. That's off to the side. I don't know. You'll, it just forces you to like look at the environment and kind of see the way that it's changing because of this military occupation in the future because of, I don't know. And then also like how like, like little counterculture teens 
are you know adapting to it or changing it or making it their own Mm -hmm. so it's a really fun game and the music is amazing in that game the soundtrack's on spotify and i've been listening to that a bunch the only other game i really wanted to mention was teardown which is an early access on pc um and that's just a game that's like very physics based voxel based um so it i mean it has a little bit of that minecraft look and that's what i mean by voxels is that it's just like polygonal 3d pixels um Mm -hmm. but everything is like elemental um and essentially the game is that you're part of this like towing and destruction service that is on the outs and so you start taking these like illegal contracts and you're basically given tasks to go and like steal computers from a rival company or go and like you know this like dock is against like code because they have like one too many like units built onto the stock or too many clubhouses and all this stuff Mm -hmm. so you have to go and it tells you you have to destroy this last house on the dock do it however you want to and you're given all these tools so you get to go around and 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 you know bust through walls explode stuff and just find your own way to to destroy it and the physics are really like very intensely simulated so uh, you get like a lot of really nice realistic destruction and stuff um i haven't played through an incredible amount of it but i played through some more of it last night and it's a lot of fun um also there's some missions where it's like these places that you've been before have new security systems so you have to find a way to like run through these three spots and steal all this stuff within like 60 Mm -hmm. seconds so you have to like Mm -hmm. basically kind of like italian job lay out this whole thing where you're going to do this and then this hole's going to blow in the street and it's going to drop and then you're going to have this underground tunnel where you get in a car and drive off. Mm-hmm. Damn, that sounds that sounds pretty sick. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. They're like, I don't know, I talk about how like games this year don't really do anything new, but I feel like a lot of the stuff in that game is is stuff that I haven't really seen before. So it's incredibly exciting. I just haven't been able to play it until like this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't really know if there's anything else that's like you know, must talk about from 2020 in terms of games. Yeah, for sure. At least some new stuff. I mean, I don't know. I've been playing some old stuff, but. So I guess that is our, uh, for the most part, uh, I think our overlooked, underappreciated images of, of 2020. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a lot to think about with this year, a lot to reflect upon. It's just, I don't know, it's just a real kind of shifting sea change year in a lot of ways for a lot of media and uh, for good and bad. It is kind of interesting thinking back on that, but it is also extremely exhausting thinking about 2020. So I think after we finish recording this, I'm not going to think about it really much more. (laughs) I'm with you on that. I don't know, thinking about it too much, I feel like it's like really easy to just like to to start thinking about yourself and just like make into this whole kind of grand uh thing i don't know it's hard with all this like wrapping up 2020 stuff i feel like Mm -hmm. there's always like a bit of like a i don't know it's a lot of self-examination obviously because people were for the most part kind of just like with themselves a lot more than expected totally um and it's hard not to to make this situation that affected so many people that aren't you um, into this thing that is very introspective and and very self-centered. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's easy to f- fall into kind of a solipsistic view when you're just in your home and in your head all the time. Yeah. But it did also, you know, it does. It did have kind of a profound effect on everybody in a lot of different ways. Um, so probably worth wrestling with. But I'm wrestled out. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm tapping out. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back with 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 more content in the new year. Yeah, Hotbox the Cinema. You know, you know where to find us. Email is hotboxthecinema at gmail dot com. Twitter is at Hotbox the Cinema. <laughs> We're on. Charlie says, "Hell yeah, go follow." Yeah, Charlie says, "Go follow." Give us a like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever good podcasts are sold or streamed, you know, we're free for now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it. I'm at Trillmore Girls. That's where you can find me. Where can people find you, Seth? At ASAP Sunscreen. Well, with that, keep on token in 2021. <laughs>
straight and smoke you like hookery Match the shit, the run, the dookery Never keep shot in the dark so you can see mine Your mouth revolver cock, you can be quiet, little dude Your pockets look like on a dial, little dude Your bitch ain't my dick at the high, little dude Now you wanna feel about the way that I got my rocks off, we in the club and the shit about to pop off Three of my niggas strapped safety is on off Who did nobody get this shit blown off? This shit ain't sweet, this shit ain't candy Biffin' niggas sad bitch with no Randy We use violence, AK's handy Money piled up, they can't stand me Sippin' on brown, this ain't random Beat a bitch down, understand me City full of gas, hustle dandy Jack with no mask, rob your mammy Swipin' credit cards, we so scamming. Quack ain't dead, quack ain't dead, quack ain't dead, ho Sit on my lap, hey. They saying Drizzy just snap. This in between us is not like a store. This isn't a closable gap, hey. I see some attack and don't end up making it back. I know that they at the crib going crazy down bad. What they had didn't last, damn baby. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know, no, 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 baby. I took a half and she took the whole thing. Slow, slow, slow down. We took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town Baby Where did these be at when they said they doing all this and all this? Baby Where did these be at when they 
they say they doing, doing, doing now this and all that. I'm in the trenches, relax. Can you not play that little boy in the club? Cause we do not listen to rats. We in Atlanta, I buy her wig. She telling me Tay is the best. Point at that who act like a killer, but you only one from the net. I'm like the baby, I'm not just a rapper. You play with me, you won't get stretched. And the money's hard to make So I bet they on their face right now I know that they at the crib going crazy down bad What they had didn't last, damn baby Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry But I guess you know now Baby I took a half and she took the whole thing Slow, low, low down Baby We took a trip, now we on your block And it's like a ghost town Baby, where did these be at when they said they doing all this and all that? When he tell the story, that's not how it went. Know they be lying a hundred percent. Moved out of the risk and forgot about the bend. Now they just call me to tell me come get it. Now that boy off and I don't want no credit. If it was me, they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't regret it. Let me be dead and now they won't dead it. Yeah, heart is still beating, my still eating. Backyard it look like the garden eating. Pillow talk with him, she's spilling the tea and then Shawty came back and said she didn't mean it. Down bad, what they had didn't last, damn baby Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now Baby I took a half and she took the whole thing, slow down Baby We took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town Baby Where they be at when they say they doing all this and all that